Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Dave Berry and I am fascinated by my next door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have become good friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into barbecues and drinks down the pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is as far away from mine as you can get, I am desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person, because believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatres. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities, oh no, I want you to be involved in these conversations as well. So whether you live next door to a doctor, are a doctor, or want to use my access to a doctor to your own advantage, send your questions, thoughts and stories to doctor at nextdoorpod.com right now. All right, Neil, I can hear you. Ah, doctor, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How's your week been? Uh, My week has been good. Um, I did something this week that I think comes to everybody at some point in their lives and I borrowed a ladder I I borrowed it from uh, Dirk at number three Mm. he sends his regards Um, he always struck me as the kind of man who would have a ladder I think I strike people as the kind of person who hasn't purchased a ladder yet but has been swearing he'll get round to it for about the last 10 years so I borrowed a ladder to do some DIY that's all fine but it got me thinking this week you've lived here longer than I have What's the most elaborate thing you have ever borrowed from one of the people on this street or they have borrowed from you? Well, great question. I mean, one thing I have to say, it's very unique on the streets, remarkably friendly. I was just talking to somebody at work yesterday and about three people on our street have our keys. I think one of which is your good wife, but um, also uh, Brooklyn Dan across the road. So Brooklyn Dan... <laughs> He's constantly borrowing food for me, actually. Right, okay. <laughs> so he loves my cooking. And uh, it's now got to a stage where it's almost like um, two days a week, I send, tend to cook excess food. And so we just think, okay, right, Brooklyn Dan must obviously want some. And he seems very keen to take some. It all started when we, when we had a loss of fridge. So we had six weeks, no fridge. Really, I remember this. Really it was painful. the great fridge loss. That was, that was the great of 2021. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad we can just put it in the past yeah, now because it was exactly. a harrowing a bad, time for a, all. A tough start for the year, <laughs> especially for you because I think we um, 
had to cross borrow some of your your equipment. We we, we we froze and refrigerated things for you and your family, exactly. and it was a pleasure to do so. And Brooklyn, at one point, it was an organ that you brought back from the yes, hospital. Exactly. That was frightening. That was part of my practice. I'm trying to teach my son dissection. <laughs> but uh, no, Brooklyn Dan's been a significant benefactor of this, and now it's become a tradition. So yeah. Well, one thing, apart from refrigerating your, your food types uh, at the tail end of last year, um, I know that you borrowed a suitcase from us um, for a trip to Copenhagen, where your wife is from. And in return, one of the things that we've borrowed from you, and, and I know that it's, this isn't exclusively us, your next door neighbours, is ad hoc medical advice. So what I really want to know, Neil, is once people discover there is a doctor on the street... Do you have to make yourself readily available? And have you ever found that, and I choose my words carefully here, as a medical professional, you may have been pimped out by your own wife in the past? Um, uh, you, you speak from very, very good knowledge, Dave. <laughs> I, th- I think if you remember when we first met, it was a, a long time ago, actually, when, when we were doing the um, clapping on the street during the early days of COVID. Yeah, Neil just insisted on walking up and down while we clapped him because he exactly. works for the that was, NHS. That was the bit me just walking <laughs> up and down, just waving, saying thank you. Yeah. yeah, no. I tend not to introduce myself as regard to what I do. I tend to avoid it and I tend to keep quiet. And that's exactly why. Because as soon as people then found out during that period, and it happened the other day, actually, like I walked down the street and I said hello to the lady at number, you know, I can't remember what it was, 22 or something. She's lived here for about 30 years. And I think she was, she was trying, she's quite elderly, she was trying to carry something out of the car, offered to help her. And then she randomly said, where do you live? I said, oh, I live there. Blah, blah. Oh, so you're the doctor at number, you know. And so I was like, how did you know that? And this word has just passed down the street. So this has become a problem now. Um, But you make a very good point. So my wife is famous for making friends with lots of people, particularly, as you know, you'll know yourself from your wife and from yourself. You know, you're taking your kids out and you end up meeting lots of people in the park. You make new friends. And our kids are almost a vehicle now for our new friendships, which is um, showing our age and showing how sad our lives have become. (laughs) All the parents out there hear you right now. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So one night I came home late from work. I'd been doing some late cases and it was quite a difficult case. I was quite tired. And about eight o'clock, my wife says to me, oh, no, you're not finished now. Don't don't get, you know, your shoes off and stuff. You've got to go to the this, this street something gardens, it's called. I was like, where's that? It's about five minutes drive. Okay, why? Well, you know Jane. I was like, who's Jane? No, I've never met Jane. Yeah, you know, Jane and Joey. It's like, no, I don't know the kid called Joey, and I do not know Jane. Well, Joey's got fever, and Jane wants you to check it out. She's really worried. I was like, okay. But I'm not a paediatrician. Like, the last time I had any paediatric experience was 2004. And that was during the summer cricket season when I, you know, may have been playing a cricket tournament and not attending my med school paediatric <laughs> classes, right? So anyway, you know how it is when your wife insists that this is going to happen. So there was no, no two ways about it. There was no dinner. There was no changing shoes. There was no take your coat off. Back in the car, sat nav on. And I'm walking in the dark around this area trying to work out where this lady's house is, knocking on some doors and saying, you know, are you expecting me sort of thing? <laughs> and then in the end, finally somebody pops out and says, are you Neil? It's like, yeah, hi, nice to meet you. And so this was the first time I've ever met this lady ever. She completely trusts me because my wife says so. She escorts me into this house and there is this child laying there with, you know, breathing quite fast with a fever, quite unwell. And she says, here's my son, can you look at him? 
which was um, quite a sort of shock to me. But one of the things I think with your training is that you do get a degree of gut instinct, some experience. So even if you've not seen a child who's been unwell for 15 years or whatever, you have an idea of what sort of patient is unwell and what sort of patient is not unwell. And I'd obviously had my stethoscope in my bag, did an examination, checked his pulse, checked, you know, he was warm, he had a fever, looked in his throat, the usual sort of things. And I thought he was okay for the night, but I'd made a suggestion that they should go somewhere, get checked out, etc., etc. And um, actually now he's done really well. So he went to hospital, had a few checks, it was all viral, but it was important we got it checked out. And he's recovered. And I've got a fantastic bottle of wine, thank you, from, <laughs> but, as a response to that. Well, I mean, I know you don't just want to be rewarded through um, bottles of alcohol, Neil. Mm. It must be incredibly rewarding being able to just knock on someone's door and give them the peace of mind that their child is receiving, you know, care or, you know, some help. When you say you're not a paediatrician, and I understand that, and, you know, we've touched on previously, and we probably will again about, you know, specialising in certain sections of medicine. But at the end of the day, the reason that uh, your wife was pushing you out the door to go along is that there's a, you know, there's something just lovely for that parent when you arrive. Yeah. And it must be really nice to be able to kind of deliver that. Yeah, I think, as I said before... When you're practicing, when you're doing a procedure, when you're examining a patient, your thought process is very much more distracted. So you're not in that kind of mental mindset of thinking about this is, must be lovely for people or must be reassuring. You're just focusing on is this child unwell or not and I'm, you know, am I doing the right thing and am I making sure I've not missed something, bearing in mind that it's you know, well outside of my realms of normal practice. Okay? But I'm helping a friend and I'm helping a neighbour. But... One thing that really struck me is, is exactly as you said afterwards, they came around our house, they thanked, you know, thanked us, thank you card, you know, bottle of wine, not necessary, but, you know. No, but that, I love that feeling of talking to that person after, having now got to the, know them for the first time in this unusual situation, the reward, you know, how rewarding it is to feel that you've actually impacted that person's life, made them feel reassured. She's a single mum on her own, very worried about, you know, shall I drive to A&E in the middle of the night? It's, you know, dark, there's a long wait in A&E, all of these things. And the ability to have that reassurance, just even to be checked out and say, OK, everything's OK, or you should do X, Y, Z, meant the world to her. And I think that made a big difference. So, yeah, it is wonderful to have that privilege. But at the same time, when I'm sort of down the street and things, I kind of like when I'm out off duty or off work to kind of just put the hood up and go, it's not me. Now, obviously, everyone was talking about, you know, your fridge breaking towards the tail end of 2021. Um, and as you say, you know, several people have got front door keys to several other people's houses on this road of ours. And that means, you know, people chat, people gossip. And I thought to myself the other day, I wonder if Neil's telling his nearest and dearest that perhaps I'm, I don't know, failing the medical quiz he gives me here on the podcast every week. Because I just got this tingle down my spine. I got these goosebumps. I just got this, this feeling I was being spoken about. Neil, A, were you speaking about me? And B, why do we get goosebumps? Great question, David. So, no, I haven't been saying anything bad about you. You know me. I'm the street, you know, lovely guy. Like to be friends to everybody, especially Brooklyn This Dan. isn't a dating profile, by the way, <laughs> Exactly. Neil. Well, with Valentine's Day coming soon, so you never know. Exactly. So, so uh, yeah, actually, you know, and Brooklyn Dan, thank you very much. He also helped fix the fridge door, the new fridge door, because it was badly installed. So it all repaid itself. Well done, Brooklyn kind. Dan. But, Consider um, this a shout-out. Exactly. Um, goosebumps. Good, good point. So goosebumps are the result of the 
these tiny muscles flexing within the skin and they make the hair follicles rise up and make your hair stick on end. You, you don't always get it when you're sort of feeling cold. It's, it can be related to certain emotions, certain stresses, those kind of things. They cause the hair to stand up on end and it's an involuntary reaction and it's controlled by part of our nervous system, the sort of fight and flight aspects of our nervous system. They're actually an animal reflex. So in the animal kingdom, for instance, you get a similar reaction. The furs get all puffed out a bit when they get stressed or when there is lots of adrenaline floating around. And I suppose that's meant to make the animal appear bigger or, or, or more dangerous in that sense. And a, a dramatic example of that in the same way as a porcupine. So a porcupine, when it puffs all its quills out and senses danger, all those spikes putting out, that's exactly what we're experiencing. So it's a normal reflex that we get in response to all manner of things, things like being cold where we stick the hair out on end just to keep, try and keep ourselves warm, to certain emotions which do then cause that, you know. Well, it's kind of, I think, almost used as a compliment, isn't it? Like, it's giving me goosebumps. Absolutely. Because when a, when a song moves you to having goosebumps or somebody says something that yeah. moves you to having goosebumps... Or when I'm listening to your radio show in the morning, <laughs> those dulcet tones. God bless you, I'm getting goosebumps now. Um, but, it's you know, it's like kind of set the goosebumps to stun for what you're about to hear. This is the beautiful new song by Adele or, or whatever. Absolutely. And it has the power to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose we've passed that sort of evolutionary need to make our hair stand up on end to have a fight, right? So fundamentally for us, it's now a more emotional thing and actually a, a quite an important emotional experience. It's something that where something touches us, then we get our, you know, our hair stand on end because we're so emotionally connected with that moment. If you don't mind me saying so, Neil, it would be frightening to see you get goosebumps in that jumper you've chosen to wear for this recording of the podcast. Thanks. I highly recommend them. They're it's, all the rage. They're lovely and warm. I know it's the, the, the very height of fashion, yeah. but it's kind of like, I suppose, it's almost like you went out, you hunted and killed an Ewok... Uh, and you're wearing its body. And now I'm wearing it, exactly. And <laughs> um, I should point out, it's very much fake fur. Yeah. Um, it, look, it looks we great. Should, we should definitely make sure we take a photo of this for the, um, yeah. For the link. You, they yeah. Get on the socials and take a little look at Neil's jumper. I don't want to make you emotional, because if yeah. that all stands out, yeah. you, you might blind me. But, but um, from, from as, as we talked earlier, actually, from years of experience of freezing myself in, the, in a cold park in the middle of you know, January and February. It's Doctor's Autumn Winter Collection 2022, and I, I love, for one, I simply love it. Now, Neil, it is that time of the week again that I dread. We're only minutes away from finding out whether I'm going to be once again basking in my newfound medical knowledge or I'm going to be embarrassing myself in front of the nation. You've got three questions about the world of medicine. You're going to test me. I know everybody likes playing along where they are. So, Neil, please give me my first question in this week's edition of Dave's Medical Training. So, David, I think you're being too harsh on yourself. I think the whole street has been actually very, very positive about how well your marks have been in medical school. I knew you were talking about me. <laughs> I knew those goosebumps are unfounded. Exactly, <sighs> exactly. And they're all very proud of you, and they're all egging you on. They're hoping you'll qualify by the summer. So, um, and, and you're getting... Part of medical school life is the constant need to be tested. So, yeah. obviously, you're now getting used to it. And I think by, you know, episode eight, you'll be immune to the exams, to be okay. honest. You'll be just like, you know... Okay. You'll turn out like the rest of medical school. They're a little bit hungover to their medical school exams. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am a little bit hungover constantly, as you know. <laughs> but I uh, also... I just want to say this. Um, even if I do very well at my medical training... 
please do not come knocking at my door <laughs> asking me to come help you in the middle of the night instead of a trip to an A&E. That would be terrible, terrible advice. Um, okay, okay, so what we got? So we've got a set of three questions, okay? So the first question, you've got an A, B or C answer. Great. And your first question is... If you are suffering from gustatory rhinitis, what would your symptoms be? Gustatory rhinitis. Is it A, excess stomach acid from drinking too much alcohol, something you may or may not have experience with? B, excessive flatulence from a high-protein diet, something you may or may not have experience with? Okay. And is it C, a runny nose... From eating spicy food. Oh, that's a good one. A okay. Good one. Okay. Can I have can I have the word again? The medical. So it's gustatory. G u s s t a t o r y. Gustatory. Yeah. Rhinitis. R h i n i t i s. Rhinitis. I t- I, you know, um. um okay. Um, it's a tough one. It's a good one. It is a tough one, but I'm I'm, I'm feeling. No, actually, no, I'm not. I'm feeling confident then, but I'm really not. Oh, what's the next one, Neil? So, the next one is a true or false. Okay. So, 50-50. And the question is, deoxygenated blood is blue. Right. Is that true or is that false? Okay. Okay. Deoxygenated blood is blue. I hope you're playing along where you are. I think we all have got one in the bag there, surely. Okay. And then the last question, question three, is... How are you going to, you know, fix people? So part of your training, obviously, is to to know how to do certain procedures. We talked before about splinters and other Mm -hmm. such things. So I'm going to ask you, you know, you you recently borrowed that ladder and you've fallen off the ladder, David. You've hurt your toe. You've broken your toe. It's really painful. I'm not around, I'm afraid. I've just gone to work and you're screaming in the garden. You've got enough wine this week because I don't want to I've go and help I don't, anyone Exactly, out. I don't need any more, <laughs> more, any more wines this week. Exactly. And so what can you do about a broken toe and how would you treat a broken toe? What, that, that general? Mm. Wow, okay. This is getting tougher as the weeks go by. Have you made a note of your answers for another set of fine questions from the mind of Dr. Neil Srinivasan? We're going to take a little ad break now and then we're finally going to discover how you fix a broken toe and what Gassamersen is. <laughs> Whilst we do that, here's another podcast from the producers of Doctor Next Door that we think you may enjoy. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and the bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. My podcast is called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. For each guest, they'll reveal why they mean so much to them, and how they would sign each letter off. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Doctor Next Door. Before the break, Dr. Neil asks me three questions about the medical profession. Now it is time to reveal the answers. So, Neil, everybody is way too in bated breath to find out if I and if they managed to achieve three out of three this week. So please remind us all of the first question. So our first question was a best of three, A, B or C answers. And the question was, if you were suffering from gustatory rhinitis, what would your symptoms be? Would it be A, excess stomach acid from drinking too much alcohol? Would it be B, excessive flatulence from a high-protein diet? Or would it be C, a runny nose from eating spicy food. I have gone for C, a runny nose from eating too much spicy food, because I think that there's one, a part of the word you read out was rhiny or rhina, and rhinoplasty is surgery on your nose. So I think that there might be, that's where the crossover is. Absolutely. So that is perfect, is David. It? You've got it 100% uh-huh. correct, yeah. Very good. So rhinitis means runny nose and gustatory concerned with tasting or the sense of taste or smell. So gustatory. Just a little bit of the nose that gave it away for me and I am pleased to have a point on the board. Well done. You're flying through medical school. And I actually applied logic to that one, Neil. Are you watching this before you? Must be like watching like the first time, like your son like walked or something. Absolutely. It's like watching one of my pupils become a a star surgeon now. We talked before about using, you know, logic, cutting down the answers it's unlikely to be and then to best Yeah, because I was just going to have a one in three shot of that like a few weeks ago. But but now I'm like thinking Now you're on fire. Exactly. And soon I will be the master. And don't you forget that. Okay, what's the next question? (laughs) Okay, our next question was a true or false, so 50-50 chance. Deoxygenated blood is blue, true or false? I just went straight for false, so I was really confident in false. That is fantastic, David, you're flying. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, it's sci-fi territory, isn't it? Absolutely. Blood is always red, Blood is always red, you know. Too many cuts and bruises from the ladder and other such attempted DIY, right? Precisely, and I've I've been cut and bruised whilst cold, hot, (laughs) laying down, standing up. Yeah. (laughs) Always red. Always red. Exactly. You just need to get American Dan to come and uh, 
and fix everything if you got a problem. He's our DIY man. He said, "Oh, is it, well, have you got a bet with him that you can mention his name fifty times yes, in the podcast exactly. today? Because you're yeah, doing yeah, really today, well. I think today, that's twenty-three mentions today, already. Today we're advertising Brooklyn <laughs> and Dan, yeah. sponsored by. I don't know if we exactly. could, yeah, could we be sponsored by various neighbours up and down the road? Exactly. Let's get the producers to look into that. Yes. So it's so, two out of three so, so far. So yeah, blood is Come always on, red, and um, when it's been oxygenated, it's flowing through the arteries. It's bright red." So when I do procedures, for, for example, I actually do quite a lot of my procedures through the venous system, and I look at the colour of the blood. If it's bright red, if it's pulsatile, I know I'm you know, in the wrong space oh, on okay. the artery. Oh. And in the veins, you've got much lower pressure, so it's often slower flowing. When you put a needle into a vein, it's much slower flowing than an artery, which is spurting everywhere. And also the colour is a sort of darker red, because all the oxygen, which makes it bright red, has been used up. But it's never blue. How um, realistic are the kind of blood splurting scenes that one would enjoy in a horror movie or a particularly gruesome piece of television? Are, are the special effects guys getting it right or are they way off? No, they're pretty accurate, to be honest. So if you were to, say, let's say, pierce a major artery, which is under high pressure, and then it were to bleed somewhere, you know, it can hit the, the ceiling very wow. easily. So I've seen, for example, cases where we do operations or something and then you have to open something up because there's some bleeding. Sometimes you can have blood everywhere, floor, ceiling, spurting everywhere. Okay, let's move on to the third and final question in my medical training. What was the question, Neil? So the last question is our open-ended question, testing your sort of practical medical skills. And the question was, what can you do about a broken toe? Now, I see, I don't know whether... The answer to this is you can't do anything about a broken toe or whether it's the exact opposite of that where you sometimes see people with like a full boot on that goes up to their knee and you ask them, oh, are you okay? What happened? And they say, I've broken my toe. So I'm going to go somewhere in between the two and I'm going to say some kind of splint followed by resting with your leg in the air. David, you're a very sensible medical practitioner, I must say. I'm going to give you half a mark for that. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll take that. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take two and a half. So normally doctors will suggest that you can treat a broken toe at home. Uh, I only learnt this the hard way the other day, actually. I was, went to a swimming pool where there were some slides with my son. Let me guess, American Dan was there. American, yeah. oh, Brooklyn Dan, of course. <laughs> oh, sorry, ding! But, yeah. <laughs> you are my best friend on the street, David, if you're getting too jealous. <laughs> Don't get upset about it. I'll give you a curry and everything from, from, from the fridge. I'll stop. I'll stop. Mate. I'll stop going to yeah, Dan's no, house. Fine. No, Brooklyn, anything. Dan, I'm stay, stay my friend. Sounds, please. Sounds fine. Brooklyn's fine. I suppose yeah. you know it's fine. Um, <laughs> so you're 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 Brooklyn, at the swimming pool. Yeah, you're, you're, you're at the swimming pool. Okay. Yeah, I'm in the swimming pool. Yeah. Son's trying to race me down the slides, and obviously me goes down a kiddie slide and cracks his toe, and uh, then couldn't walk for a long period oh, of time. Wow. So normally, if it's not your big toe, if the bone is not sticking out of your foot if your toe is not pointing at an odd angle, and if there's no wound, you know, skin wound on the toe, it is completely acceptable to just treat this at home. Broken bones and toes, they normally heal on their own, and they normally take four to six weeks to heal, which is exactly what happened to me. In fact, I was So going... you can wear your normal shoes, mm -hmm. you just go about your life in a normal way, but you're going to be in some discomfort. Pretty sore. Yeah. yeah. So I remember walking to work and having to stand all day, having to do some procedures and being a bit sore. And also about week through when I thought I was getting better and I thought I'll do some stretching and things, my wife decided to sit on my toe by accident right, and okay. put me back to stage Ouch. one again. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever been on the floor crying so painfully. <laughs> but yes. um, you can take simple painkillers when it starts. So ibuprofen, paracetamol for the pain. 
Uh, rest your foot, as you said, and keep it raised straight away. So you want to avoid the swelling. That's my half point which is, right there, Which yeah. is where you were exactly okay. coming from. And, and, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right. The question's quite open-ended. Sometimes you will need a splint. Sometimes you will need to go into a and &E If it's, you know, bent or there's, you know, bone sticking out, then obviously. So that's probably the patients or people you've seen with splints on. Um, but the, for the rest of us, ice pack, resting it. And as you said, carry on with, with your shoes and normal walking, but make sure the shoes are a bit wider. They're more comfortable, no heels, no putting pressure on it. And then try not to sort of put too much strain on it. Occasionally, you might need to strap it up if it's with a sort of bit of cotton wool and gauze if it's, you know, really sore. And that's, again, where your sort of home splint concept came from, I suppose. Okay, so that's why so I, pretty got, good. I got the half point. Good first aid. Well, there we go. That's two and a half points for me this week. I hope you fared just as well or maybe even better where you are. Now, Neil, in each episode of the podcast, I like to ask you a burning medical question. And on this particular episode... I mean that quite literally, because what I want to focus on is a huge element of health and working towards not only a, a healthier you, a healthier me, a healthier society on the whole, but also I want to focus on something that affects millions of people in the UK and billions of people around the world. So my question to you is, can you reverse the effects of smoking? So great question and a really important topic. One that we've made massive strides in this country over the last 20, 30 years. If, I mean, I'm sure you're young enough to remember going to pubs and coming home covered smelling and smoke. Yeah. Getting on a train covered smelling and smoke. And all of that was doing damage to our lungs. Around 78,000 people a year die from smoking every year Goodness in this country. Me. It's one of the biggest killers in this country. And it's a huge risk for developing up to sort of 50 serious health conditions. The biggest and most obvious one being lung cancer. And smoking is the cause of about 70% of all lung cancers in this country. So if we can make an effort in terms of stopping smoking, we can make a huge benefit in trying to cut the number of deaths from lung cancer itself. And lung cancer can be a really terrible disease. I remember at one point before I decided to become a cardiologist, I wanted to be a chest physician, actually. Did a lot of time doing lung medicine. And lung cancer is really a very destructive disease. It causes death very quickly and the treatments aren't very good. We're still not very good at picking it up and still not very good at treating it. In fact, one of my you know, uh, mentors as a physician was a, was a gentleman who smoked every day of his life. And, and he was a respiratory doctor because back in the old days in medicine, doctors would sometimes smoke in the wards. Sometimes wow. they don't even smoke on the, in the mess, you know, in the doctor's mess. My goodness. And so he would go to the top of this hospital on the, you know, there was a sort of secret way to get to the rooftop and he'd have a cigarette after the ward round every day. And sadly, one day he was really ill on the ward round, collapsed, and it was the first sign that we knew that he'd had, you know, metastases from um, lung cancer. So no signs, and then suddenly a brain event as a sort of significant cause. It's also a massive cause of coronary artery disease. So I've seen young people, you know, with hearts that have, you know, been savaged by heart attacks, massive heart attacks that have, you know, taken out large volumes of the heart function and left with significant heart failure. I've also seen people who, you know, died from smoking-related heart disease. So coronary artery disease, you know, peripheral vascular disease, people who get, you know, the same as a heart attack, but in the leg, you lose your leg or you get angina-type symptoms, but in your leg pain in your leg when you're walking and also stroke so it's a, it's a real significant killer stopping smoking is a real challenge and 
One of the things I'd say to people who are wanting to stop smoking, we tell you all the scary stuff, but also be brave. Be prepared to fail. Be prepared to have moments when you succeed, have moments when you fail. But it's the effort that counts. It's the effort that you make that you'll get there in the end. I suppose one of the big news stories last year was the fact the NHS had kind of approved the use of vaping as an alternative to smoking. And it seemed, you know, relatively recently, to me at least, that there were huge questions over vaping and whether it was actually just as bad for you as smoking or whether it kind of was bad for you, but in a different part of the body and in a different way. Do you think, you know, and I know you don't speak on behalf of the entirety of the NHS, Neil, but do you think that, that, that vaping for people who need that support and need that help to stop smoking properly, as it were, is, is, a, good, is a good decision, is a good move forwards? Yeah, so the NHS has a lot of stop smoking advice and services. If you, you know, Google or check with your local general practice, you'll know that there's loads of support out there for people because, as I've said, it's quite a challenge. There are lots of ways of stopping smoking, gum, patches, nicotine replacement, etc., and vaping. The benefits of smoking can be seen within 20 minutes. So within 20... Well, stopping smoking. So within 20 minutes, your pulse rate will go down. After about eight hours, your oxygen levels will start to normalise. Within two days, all of that carbon monoxide that you've been inhaling will have gone away and your breathing will start to get better within about three days. And then the long-term benefits are, again, significant. So the blood sorts of pumps around better around the body within about three months or so and then around three to nine months your lungs start to significantly improve all that coughing the wheezing etc does all the gunk physically come out yeah. if you're big if you're one of those people like my my nan who was like one of those people back in the 50s who smoked like 30 a day or whatever yeah. was there physically a absolutely like a black so, gunk so there a tar? Are, smoking causes some not only damage to the airways but the airways have a series of hairs called cilia and the cilia are basically beat within your airways, trying to push out all sorts of dirt and things all the time. And they get paralysed by smoking. And as you get this sort of you know, initial recovery in the first week or so, not only is there significant withdrawal from the addiction of nicotine, some people feel really sick and unwell mm. and nauseous, mm. but there's also this, my lungs are worse, doctor. You know, I'm coughing up more stuff. And that's actually part of the early recovery, where the airways start to sort of cough and wheeze and things and then improve their airway It's function. getting the crap out of the way so it can then yeah. start to repair start itself. Start heal. And within okay. about three to nine months, your lung function will increase by about 10%. Every and time we do one of these, I just love, and I do genuinely love this, just how magnificent the human body is. Yeah. It's just, I can see why you would kind of be so fascinated with this that you would fall in love with it and you'd want to do it. Yeah. Because the thought that you can... Do something yourself. to yourself like smoke. And I'm not preaching because I was a smoker and I understand why people smoke. I, I get it. Yeah. But you can do something to yourself like that and your body's going to fight back on your behalf and, yeah. and try and get you well again. Yeah. It's lung, lovely. It's amazing. Lung, it's amazing. The lungs are a, an amazing thing. You know, they, they're lined in skin, basically, cells, and they heal. Um, within about a year, your risk of heart attack will be halved compared to somebody who carried on smoking. And after about 10 years, your risk of death from lung cancer or, or heart disease, it's almost kind of normal. So you can make huge, uh, you know, efforts and benefits from quitting smoking. And the sooner you can quit smoking, the better, really. Now, back to your point about vaping. Yes. So I think that's a really good point. And I've got lots of patients who actually use vaping to quit smoking. They find it very helpful. There is actually some data. So there's two or three things to, to mention about vaping. Mm -hmm. Firstly, you're not burning tobacco. 
you're not producing all that tar, you're not producing that carbon monoxide. So most of the damaging elements of smoking are not present in, in your, what you're inhaling, yeah? Now there are some small chemicals that are inhaled as part of what you're vaping, but the amount of that is so small compared to what you're experiencing in a cigarette that actually it's much safer for you. And there is some data that suggests that there was a major clinical trial published in 2019, and that found that when you combine vaping with expert face-to-face -face support, people who used e-cigarettes were able to quit smoking twice as likely to succeed than people who were using other nicotine replacement products. And so I think that's why the NHS is now going down the route of saying actually e-cigarettes are okay, and they're a very good vehicle to enable you to quit smoking because part of the habit obviously is the use of the hand and movement of the hand to the mouth and that sort of addictive aspect of that and the ability to use something like an e-cigarette which gives you the nicotine but without some of the bad aspects and then gradually wean yourself down is probably beneficial for you. Obviously, Neil, we need to talk about the heart. What are the effects of smoking on the heart? How can the heart of a healthy person look in comparison to someone who has been smoking 30 a day for 20 years, or even 10 a day for five years? So, so really good question. The heart is a big muscular pump. It's a big bag, and it needs blood, and it has a series of motorways, two or three major motorways that supply blood to the whole of that. So they are essentially large pipes. Heart attacks happen when there is a blockage on those pipes. So imagine the motorway and suddenly there's a car crash there and all five lanes are blocked. That's a heart attack. And to do that, what happens is the skin lining inside those pipes rupture, they tear. What smoking does to you is two things. One, it makes the skin lining within those actual blood vessels more likely to snap. They just tear and then it's a bit like a car accident on the M25 and all the lanes are closed and no one's moving, except this time it's your heart and there's no blood getting to a large volume of tissue of your heart. And if that is, you know, if you imagine the M1 goes from you know, London to Leeds, if that blockage is just by London, then that whole area from, you know, London to Leeds is not supplied by any cars, but this time it's blood. So the whole front wall of your heart will be supplied with no blood. And that's a major heart attack. Now, we have amazing services in this country where, you know, if you have a heart attack, somebody can take you in by an ambulance, try and open that artery as quick as we can, put a stent in there and restore flow. But even still, you're likely to suffer significant damage to that wall of the heart. And if you take out large proportions of the muscle that you have in your heart, then you're going to be, you know, suffering from symptoms of heart failure, putting yourself at risk of, you know, cardiac death in the long term. When you look inside the arteries, what you also see is instead of that being a pristine pipe, what you get is almost, you know, craggy, fatty deposits inside it. So it's almost like loads of crud, in, a bit like, I suppose, if you look at your drain pipe, for instance, and your kitchen drain pipe, and you look at it and it was blocked. When you look through it, there's bits that sort of stuck onto the side of it, and then loads of, you know, build up on top of that. And that's what smoking does to the heart arteries themselves. So, Neil, you said there are lots of ways in which people can be helped to stop smoking on the NHS. What's the best thing for people to do if they are looking to quit, which seems like a good plan if you're able to? So we're blessed in the NHS with fantastic local stop smoking services, which are free, friendly and a massive boost for your chances to quit smoking. They are staffed by experts who are, you know, range of proven methods and, and really understand how to help you quit 
And the ways in which you can access them is to, to either go to the NHS website and, and Google you know, NHS.uk and stop smoking. But also if you contact your local GP practice, they will always have some link to the local stop smoking service. And what you can do from these websites is to go and to find your local stop smoking services in England, Scotland, Wales. And there's also a smoke-free national helpline. Um, with a telephone number. So you can you know, access all of those services, either ring, website, your general practitioner, and they will put you in the right direction. And every area that we live in has a sort of free accessible service that will suit you. We'll put all those details on our socials, which is at docnextdoorpod. That's also how you can contact us, as well as our email address, which is doctoratnextdoorpod.com. And that's it for this episode of Dr. Next Door. As ever, thank you very much indeed to my co-host and next door neighbour, Dr. Neil Srinivasan. Do you want to give that guy from Brooklyn a shout out or a love message or anything? Yeah, Brooklyn Dan. I mean, you may as well <laughs> yeah, just call was, him Dave, actually. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> Stop it right there. Uh, next time, we'll be tucking into more of Neil's medical knowledge. And of course, I will be taking on my own medical training yet again. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you do know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might like what you've just heard, then please do feel free to let them know about us. And now, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, please get out of my house. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.